0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, and I'll just give you very quickly, this is a real uh, quick uh, journey as far as where we've been. We've been following Joseph actually the last couple of chapters, and uh, he's been Sold uh, by his brothers into slavery and ended up in, in prison for a while. But now he's in charge of Egypt. Some of this we'll go back and, and get, but, uh, but now he's in charge basically of Egypt. He's the second in command. The Pharaoh doesn't do much, um, and Joseph is pretty much running everything. And, and there have been seven years of great plenty, as Joseph had interpreted from the Pharaoh's dream, Uh, But now the famine has started, and the famine is very severe. We saw at the end of chapter 41 that it's over all the earth. And so as we get into this chapter, we're going to start, and and we'll end, in Canaan. So our our scene will kind of shift a little bit, and we'll go with Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, along with his brothers, And where they are, and they're going to, the brothers are going to go uh, see Joseph, as we uh, find out in our passage today. So uh, we'll pick up the story here. Uh, We're in Canaan uh, with Jacob and uh, the sons that he has there. Genesis chapter 42, I will begin at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt... He said to his sons, "'Why do you look at one another?' And he said, "'Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die.'" So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him." Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, He saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, This, or what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the lord of the land, spoke roughly to us. And took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the house, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take the grain for the famine of your households and go on your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children, Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come upon me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead." And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. The Word of the Lord. Well, some of you uh, might know, uh, others might not, that uh, the U.S. Department of Treasury actually has a a department um, called the Conscience Fund. And this conscience fund started way back in 1811 uh, when someone uh, anonymously sent five dollars uh, that they had uh, defrauded uh, the government, and he felt his conscience was bothering him. And so he sent uh, to the Department of Treasury this five dollars to ease his his conscience, and and then money kept coming in from people who thought that they owed. The money uh, or the government money and actually was made official, this conscience fund, in uh, 1950. And they've had uh, money sent to them as little as nine cents. Uh, One guy uh, felt that he had reused three three cent stamps and his conscience was bothering him, so he sent nine cents. Uh, Another person sent over $155,000. No idea what that guy had done. Um, and they don't really investigate. They just accept the money. Uh, a lot of it is anonymous. Uh, some of it comes actually from uh, pastors and priests with deathbed confessions, and okay, I'll take the money, and, and they go. Some of it is former soldiers who during their time in service either took something or else uh, used six days when they really weren't sick and they feel guilty about it, so they uh, send money. And actually, this fund, as of uh, 2017, had over uh, $5.7 million in it. Um, perhaps my favorite story of, of this uh, conscience fund is, is uh, someone, and apparently this is true, who uh, sent money with this note. It said, Dear Internal Revenue Service, I have not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. Enclosed, In find a cashier's check for one thousand dollars. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> All right, nice try, nice try. <laughs> but we have this conscience, and sometimes it, it bothers us, and and something will spark it, and we don't really know why sometimes, uh, but when we look at our passage, we see Joseph's brothers here, and, and they're being tested, and their consciences especially are put to a test as we look at this passage. Now, just to give us a sense of, of time here, Joseph, when his brothers sold him into slavery, was 17 years old. He went into the, uh, became second in charge in Egypt when he was 30. And they've had seven good years, and now we're into the famine years, and it appears we're a couple of years into the famine years here. Uh, So Joseph is now, what, 39, 40, maybe even a little older than that. So basically, everyone is 20 plus years older than when Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. And as we look at this passage, Joseph is going to do some things, and, and we're going to have to speculate. Why is Joseph doing the things that he's doing here? And, and we'll take a look at maybe some of the reasons, but what we have to keep in mind is that God is controlling everything. God is deciding what Joseph does. It's God who's afflicting uh, the brothers and so God is afflicting the brothers early on with the famine we see that it's in the, the land of Canaan in the first five verses it's a bad famine as Joseph had interpreted for Pharaoh and uh, the the Jacob the the head of the family the father uh, he sees it's bad and and I love how it starts in verse one he asks his sons why are you sitting around looking at each other Here we've got this famine, and you guys are just sitting here staring at each other. We got this uh, sense they're not doing anything. There's probably a lot of indecision. What can we do? Uh, But he said, there's there's grain in Egypt. Go uh, get that. And he keeps Benjamin behind. We see that in verse 4. Benjamin is now the new apple of Jacob's eye. He loved Joseph before. He thinks Joseph is dead. This is the, the beloved son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Uh, Joseph and Benjamin were uh, sons of Rachel. All the other brothers, they have uh, other uh, mothers uh, with servants and, and uh, the other wife, Leah. So he keeps uh, Benjamin with him and, and the ten brothers go. Now these are the ten brothers who had very heartlessly uh, sold Joseph into slavery, and they knew where he was going. It was traders from Egypt. They knew he was going to Egypt, and so you're thinking as they start out on their journey, they're thinking of Egypt, and probably right away are thinking, yeah, that's, that's where we sold our brother. We have a, a brother uh, in Egypt. Now, Reuben, for one, thinks he's dead. We'll, we'll come to that in a little bit, but they're probably not thinking they're going to run into Joseph for sure, but they get to uh, Egypt in the first day, verses 6 through 17, and sure enough, they run into Joseph, but they don't know that. Although Joseph recognizes them. And as I imagine it in my mind, I I wonder how uh, Joseph reacted. Or did did he recognize one at first? He said, well that, that looks a lot like Simeon. And hey, wait a minute. And, and then starts looking at them. And, those those are, are my brothers. And, and they bowed down to him. And this is the dream that he had. Back when he was 17 years old, his brothers bowing down to him. And, and he recognizes that in verse 9. He, yeah, that's right. This is, this is like that dream. And Joseph knows that God is up to something again. Now, the brothers, as we see in the passage, they don't recognize Joseph. And, and really, they're not expecting to see Joseph. And, and we say, well, how, how can they not recognize their brother? Well, we have to remember now, Joseph, he's dressed like an Egyptian royal. He's second in command. So his, his dress is like an Egyptian. He's now a man. He was a 17-year-old boy. Now he's a 40-maybe-more-year-old you know, man. He's got an Egyptian name that, that the, uh, the Pharaoh had given him. He speaks the Egyptian language. We see in the text, there's an interpreter. So he looks and acts and dresses like an Egyptian person. They're not expecting that that would ever be Joseph. And, And so Joseph, now he sees them. They don't recognize him. And then we see Joseph and what he does. And he speaks roughly to them at times, but then not quite so much a, a little bit later on. And, and, and why is he doing that? And, and, and what Joseph is trying to do is he, he's trying to figure things out. You know, he, He's trying to figure out, okay, what are these guys like now? Are, are they still the jerks that sold me into slavery? Is, is my dad still alive? What about Benjamin? I know what they did to me. What did they do to Benjamin? Because he's not here. He's got questions, and he's going to try to figure this out and and see what's going on. And also, we got a little bit of a test for Joseph. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. Here's Joseph, and here's his ten brothers. These are the guys that sold him into slavery. And we learn a little bit later on in the passage that he was pleading, he was begging and pleading for his life for them not to do this, and they did it anyhow, and here they are, all ten of them, standing right there, his father and Benjamin are far away, and there's Joseph with these guys that sold him out, and Joseph has the entire Egyptian army at his disposal. What would you do? You know, this is, a, this is a good test for Joseph here. But Joseph, he wants to figure this out. And so he calls them spies. He said, well, you're spies. Which isn't really a far-fetched idea. Uh, Egypt or Egypt was uh, very concerned about spies. In fact, that area near Canaan, that was a little bit of their weak spot. And, and they knew it. So this, this wasn't just some empty uh, idea. Uh, but this was actually a worry for the Egyptian, that there might be spies in the land. He said, and if you come here to look at, as my translation said, the, uh, the nakedness of the land, or that could be translated, the weakness of the land. You're, you're here to find out where we're vulnerable, where we can be exposed, and you're, you're going to come then and get all of our grain. There's this great famine. And they say, no, we're brothers. And they've they mentioned that a couple of times. We're, we're brothers, sons of one man. And, and the reason that they bring that up is because if they were spies, a family wouldn't send a whole bunch of brothers and wipe out the whole family. If they were spies and the plot got uncovered, they're not going to risk a whole family being killed. If they were ten people unrelated, that might be a little more suspicious. But they're saying, no, we're brothers. We're not gonna risk the whole family as spies. Look, we're we're brothers, and 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 you wonder as they're saying this, if Joseph is a little surprised that he's he's still counted among them. Notice they say there there's 12 of us in verse 13. And one is no more. Well, that's Joseph. And, and you wonder, you're thinking, okay, they, they still consider me their brother, although they think I'm dead. They still think I'm, I'm their brother. And Joseph finds out, okay, Jacob is alive. And Benjamin is alive. And also he finds out, and, the, and these guys, you know what? They have a conscience because this is bothering them a little bit. He can tell this as, as he goes on. And so what he does, he said, okay, well, let's just up the ante a little bit and let's put them in jail for three days and let them stew on this for a while. And so he puts them all in jail in verse 17 that they can uh, ponder what's going on. Maybe their conscience uh, will, will get the better of them. Well, when he comes back three days later in verses 18 through 25, we see there's a change of plans. And Joseph brings it about in in somewhat of a startling way. Uh, He said, now do this and you will live for I fear God. It's almost a backhanded slap because the brothers have not lived like they have any fear of God at all. And it probably startled them a little bit that Joseph would say, I fear God, not Pharaoh. I fear God. God. And then, as uh, this plays out, this, this next conversation, we actually learn a little bit something, and, and Joseph learns some more things. What we learn, I mentioned earlier in verse 21, is Joseph's distress and, and his begging when he was sold into slavery. When that happened back in chapter 37, it was just kind of stated, and it was very cold-hearted. It was intended to be stated that way. The brothers sold him into slavery and then sat down and ate. It was like they didn't even care. But we see it wasn't quite that clean and easy that Joseph was begging and pleading them not to do this, and they did it anyhow. And what Joseph learned, something we had picked up back in chapter 37, was that Reuben, who was the oldest brother, was actually trying to save Joseph through this. He was trying to come up with an underhanded plan to go back and get Joseph and save him from all of this. And Reuben, for sure, thinks that Joseph is dead, as he talks about his blood. And unbeknownst to the brothers, Joseph understands everything they're saying, and it makes him weep in verse 24. And so Joseph now, with this change of plans, is going to keep the one brother and send nine off. And he keeps uh, Simeon. And why Simeon? Uh, we see that in, in verse 24. Well, we, we don't really know. Perhaps he had intended to keep Reuben, who was the eldest. But, uh, but when he finds out, you know, Reuben was actually the guy trying to save me. I'll take the second eldest, which is Simeon. And he binds him in front of them. And he does that for effect, I'm sure the same way that they bound Joseph when they sold him into slavery. He wants them to remember what they've done. And he, he sends the nine off. And why would he change plans here? Well, there's uh, some good reasons why. First of all, if they're carrying grain back to Canaan, first of all, they can take more. He knows his father and his brother are alive back there, so take more grain. Also, during a famine, if there's one guy traveling with a whole bunch of food, that's not going to turn out well. So if there's nine of them, there's safety in numbers, so uh, he sends them back, and, and I'm sure he's thinking of Jacob. And he also is probably thinking, my best chance to see Benjamin is if I send nine back. Because then there's a better chance that Jacob will let Benjamin come to Egypt. And he really wants to see Benjamin come back. But he also puts money in the sacks. We see that, their money. He returns that in the sacks in verse 25. Is he doing this out of kindness? Well, maybe. He also might be setting them up a little bit. He does that to Benjamin later on. We're going to come across that uh, later on. Maybe he's testing them to see, are they going to return when they find the money? Will they just come right back and say, hey, look, uh, somehow our money ended up here. he's, He's testing them, but remember, remember, God is making the decisions here. God is in control, and ultimately what God is doing is shaking this family uh, and and shaking them good. He's making them think. And the cracks begin to show. We see that in in verses uh, 26 through 38 as the the cracks continue. The one brother finds uh, money. doesn't even mention who the brother is. It doesn't matter. But in verse 28, the one of them finds the money and then they all sit around and they think, what is God doing to us? What's going to become of us? God is, 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 is punishing us. They've got this guilty conscience. We know what we've done. And look what God is doing to us. They make it back to Cain and they tell uh, their father Jacob what has happened. And then they all open their sacks and all the money is there. In verse 35, all of it. One commentator writes Joseph's brothers are fearful because their further discovery heightens their sense of guilt and divine judgment. They're thinking, this is not good. Look what God is doing to us. And then Joseph, or uh, excuse me, Jacob uh, makes a statement and and a, a pretty harsh accusation, actually, in verse 36. He said, you have bereaved me. You have bereaved me of of Joseph and now Simeon. It's, It's as though what Jacob is thinking is too dreadful to put into words, but basically what he wants to say here is you guys killed Joseph and you sold Simeon into slavery. That's why this money is here killed Joseph, and you just sold off Simeon, and now you want to take Benjamin? Not a chance, guys. Not a chance. I can't trust you. And these brothers, now, they do have some serious character flaws. We've kind of been going through those. Anything from lying and and deceit to some appalling sexual sins. And One of them, an attempt to usurp uh, Jacob's authority, We've had genocide. They killed a whole town of people at one point. Uh, They've done some pretty bad things. And Jacob knows this. And he accuses them. He said, you killed Jacob, or you killed Joseph. You just sold Simeon into slavery. You've done horrible things in your life. There's no way I'm trusting you with Benjamin. And that's why Reuben reacts like he does. He has this almost violent reaction in verse 37. Kill my own sons if I don't come back. I'll do this. I'll take Benjamin and I'll bring him back. And if not, you kill my own son. And we think, well, what's, what's Reuben? Uh, why this kind of reaction? Well, uh, there might be several reasons all working together. First of all, uh, because he had uh, some pretty bad sin. In fact, uh, his sin uh, was... Uh, with Jacob, trying to usurp his authority, sexual sin there. So maybe he's, he's trying to atone for that sin. Or, or maybe he, he feels he's unfairly being accused because he was the one trying to save Joseph, and besides, we really didn't sell Simeon into slavery. You know, so maybe he's, there's this, this uh, indignation that, look, you're accusing me of things I didn't do. Maybe it's because he's the eldest and he's supposed to be in charge of the brothers, and, and things have been going on, but for whatever reason, uh, and probably a combination of all of those, he gets set off and comes out with this reaction. And what we see here is a family that's a mess. We've got a pile of sin, we've got a pile of distrust. We've got guilty consciences all over the place. We've got a mess of a family here. Have you ever felt like God is pushing you in a direction you really don't want to go? Have you ever had that feeling that something keeps coming up and you'd rather forget it You'd rather just say, ah, let's get that past and I don't want to think about this anymore. Maybe it is a past sin. Especially uh, those sins where you can't do anything about it now. It's just frustrating. There's that back there and I can't do anything. I just want it. I want it done. I don't want to think about it. Or maybe it's a current sin. Or a, a compromise, and, you, and you're trying to justify what it is that you're doing, or, or, or the, this, what it is you, you might be uh, uh, defending, and you're trying to justify it, but God just isn't letting it settle in your head. He just keeps poking at your conscience a little bit, even though you want it to go away. Matthew Henry writes, As time will not wear out the guilt of sin. So it will not blot out the record of conscience. No matter how much time you try to put me between things, it just comes back. But remember, as we look at this passage, what's going to happen is, is this is leading to life for their brothers. They're actually going to go to Egypt and get far more than they expected and and far, far more than they deserve. This is part of the process of saving this family, this broken family. And sometimes we can be like Reuben when we have our conscience prick us a little bit. And we can try to vindicate ourselves or prove our innocence, or put up a challenge, some ungodly challenge. I will do this, and I will vindicate myself, and I will prove my innocence, I, I, somehow. But rather than react violently like Reuben, God will tell us we need to bring it to him. When that conscience is being tested. Paul writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 For a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And sometimes God just has to push us into that godly grief so that we can repent. The early disciples would do this quite often. Peter would preach, and people would ask him, What do we have to do to be saved? And he would say, Repent. Repent. Because you see, we don't have a conscience fund when it comes to God. There isn't a place we can give some things to and, and fill this conscience fund. Rather, we have a Savior who forgives us our sins. God gave his son to die for our sins. And he leads us to repentance. But then he encourages us, as Paul would encourage us often in the New Testament, that that son died for all of our sins. We can bring it all to God. Face God with all of it now and repent and confess and don't carry it around till we become broken down guys, not trusting anybody and accusing everybody, but just coming to God in complete dependence that it's His forgiveness that we need. And it's his love and it's his strength that will carry us through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story of this family and and what happens when they won't confess their sin. When they keep trying to hide the truth Heavenly Father, you bring the truth to light. Your word tells us all things will be shown in the light. And so we come to you with our sin. We ask for your forgiveness. And we do thank you that we have a Savior who forgives them all, that we can be presented. As completely righteous in your eyes. So, Heavenly Father, help us when our conscience bothers us, when we feel your prodding, that we don't react violently, trying to vindicate ourselves, trying to justify ourselves, or trying to explain our innocence, but that we come to you as humble sons and daughters knowing you forgive, knowing that you love, knowing that you'll set us on your path. And so we pray for that kind of heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And now, if you will, turn to hymn 428. We'll stand and sing, I Need Thee Every Hour.